This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. When it comes to your finances, go for the credit card that's always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. That means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We're talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Oh my goodness, OG, it's here. I tell you, it is the day. It is book launch day. You can go into your local bookstore and purchase Stack, your super serious guide to modern money management, Emily Guy Birkin and I. And uh, this is part of Penguin Random House's big reset your mindset, get your house in order for 2022 uh, push. So, And you're leading the pack. We are leading the pack. I, I can't believe the the reviews that have been in, the nice things people are saying. The people online, if you got your book today, I'd love for you to go on social media and post a picture of you with your book and tag us, and we will retweet that as well. Uh, let's do a big old, we'll Pretty retweet please. it, we'll re-Instagram it, we'll, we'll Facebook it, we'll do whatever. We'll yes. re-everything it from now until the end of time. Yes. Uh, Pretty please. Because I would love for a lot of people that are not part of the financial community to maybe not even get as excited about what we're talking about this week, which is financial and well, yes, financial independence. Want everybody to be independent, but this whole retire early idea—you know, you don't have to retire early. But one guy that did—how's that for a segue? Mm-hmm. Is a guy nice. named our 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 friend Fritz Gilbert from the Retirement Manifesto. We've had Fritz on the show a few times, but back in 2018, he told the story of how he retired early and he goes through it in detail for us. So people wanting to know the things that you think about right before you get there and that lead up to that point, Fritz joins us for a great episode about exactly what, what he did. We also, in our headline segment, and man, this has been, what, July 2018, so this has been a long time ago, but do you remember when we talked about winning that free, quote, free luxury car in the mall? Like, what really comes with that? I, I do remember this, yeah. <laughs> what a great discussion this was. Uh, there's a slight catch. We're going to share that. And then also, in our second headline, why you shouldn't be so afraid of AI managing your money. We're going to dive into what AI means to pros and uh, actually think that you're going to like this, this, this point of view, because if you can automate the small stuff and focus on the big things, you're much more likely to get where you want to go. So, OG, I'm going to, you and I are headed to Hopkins Ice House. If you're in Texarkana, come join us 630 tonight 
Hopkins Ice House, downtown Anywhere near Texarkana. Texarkana. If Anywhere you're in near Shreveport. If you're in Little Hot Springs, Little Rock, Dallas. If you're yeah, Sh- Sh- Shreveport. Um, if you're in Ruston, oh, there's a good one. Come see us, Marshall. If you, yes, Tyler. If you're in Tyler. All right, we should we should get to Fritz Gilbert. This is an episode from, uh, as we mentioned, July 2018, uh, and Fritz diving into how to get fire in our week of financial independence, retire early episodes. Enjoy, peeps. Back here tomorrow. Hey, this is Joe Crane, host of Veteran on the Move podcast. And when I'm not helping veterans transition to entrepreneurship, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I have three questions. Why can't we fix the air conditioning down here? And two, who's responsible for deleting all the cat videos off my phone? I'll get to those, but today we're going to dig towards the bottom of another question. How does someone actually cross the line into retirement? Today we welcome from the Retirement Manifesto blog, Fritz Gilbert. Plus in headlines, you know that car at the mall you might win? There might just be a slight catch. And we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline, answer a letter from the mailbag, and if that wasn't enough... Share some of my delicious homemade trivia. And now two guys who put the cray cray in craisins, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. I can do raisins. I cannot do craisins. I can do raisins and cranberries. But not at the same time. <laughs> Just do not let my cranberries and my raisins touch. Don't let them touch. Whoever Just the bad things happen. Whoever the evil like person is that decided those two ninth grade dance things decided to go together. <laughs> yeah, separate them. Got to have the chaperone at the the ninth grade dance between raisins and cranberries. I would, you never know what's going to happen. I, I went to a Catholic school and we always had the nuns that said we had to leave room for Jesus between the two of us. Welcome to the Dancing and Puberty podcast. I'm Joe Salcihi and across the table from me for another Monday, it's Mr. OG. Yeah, it is I, the OG. Did you see I got a, I got a beer named after me? No, do you really? You. Yes, it's the OG beer. So keep you, your grubby fingers off. You had a show named after you, and now you've had a beer named after well, you. Well, except that show was the last OG. I'm actually the first. That's true. So Good it's point. Kind of a, it's a little play on yeah. paraphrasing. It's, it's the, for the uh, pretender. All right. We got a great show today. We got Fritz Gilbert going to tell us how he crossed, I don't know, is retirement the starting line for a new life the finish line like it's I like i think he crossed it he ran through it he, he did right he didn't just like just stumble across this thing this was a dead sprint to and through so congratulations to fritz and we're gonna make this when i was with american express i love doing case studies we do these studies about how people did things so we're gonna dive in and find out you know you hear all this theory hey you should do this should do that let's find out what fritz actually did on today's show. But first we got headlines and <laughs> really good headlines. So let's move. If you do say so yourself. And I do. Hello, darlings. 
And now, it's time for your favorite part of the show, our Stacking Benjamin's Headlines. Our first headline actually comes to us from a newsletter that I get. Do you get the Hustle newsletter? Yeah, for the articles, of course. Yeah. I mean, oh, the oh, the newsletter. Uh, yes, yes, absolutely. Yeah. The hustle newsletter. Yeah. Yes. The hustle. Also for the articles. The hustle. Yeah. This is uh, from issue 11 of the hustle. It's an email newsletter that comes uh, directly to me. But this is squarely in our wheelhouse. The title is Why Nobody Ever Wins the Car at the Mall. You know how you see the the awesome Ferrari at the mall and there's a place and you fill out all your information and you stick that in in this. uh, I've never seen a Ferrari at a mall, but okay. I mean, other than in a parking lot. No, sure you have. I've seen like Mercedes and that sort of thing. Okay. Well, and there's a thing saying win this car. Okay. Yep. Yep. I mean, take a look at this. This is their picture. Ferrari, Win this car. Ferrari okay. at the mall. Yeah. I gotcha. In fact, the mall in uh, Dallas has, I think, an Aston Martin right by the Apple store that says, Win this car. Okay. All right. There's like 17 malls in Dallas, but all right. Yeah. The one off 75. What's that called? Oh, North Park. North Park Mall. Yes. Never been. <laughs> don't know what it is. North Park. Oh, I know where it is. I just don't, I've never been to it. And this is exciting radio for people. But they we, have as, an as Aston we, Martin, so I'm going to go. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, we debate. So you know, we're going to win a free car. And a Ferrari, Aston Martin, doesn't matter. Free car. This is written by Zachary Crockett. Like, you know when you put your name in there, what's the chance you're going to get called about the car? Slim to none, and Slim just left town. Are you kidding me? Let me re-ask the question. What's the chance you're going to get called? Not very good. Let me ask you again. Oh, Called. What's the chance so you're, you're going to get called? There's a chance. One hundred percent chance you're going to get called. Yes. What's the chance you're going to win the car? Let's read. Uh, Zachary Crockett wrote this in the middle of the Great Mall in uh, mm, California. A shiny, brand new blue 2018 Acura TLX MSRP of thirty three thousand sits ready for the taking. Surrounding the vehicle are ten screens where mall goers can enter their personal data, full name, phone number, income, credit card type for a chance to win, quote, the grand prize. In the course of an hour on a Wednesday afternoon, 22 hopefuls fill out the digital form. In a few weeks' time, they'll all be bombarded with the same scammy call. Congratulations! Your name was recently drawn. All you have to do is come down to X and attend a presentation to claim your prize. Shocked? Probably not, right? Mm-hmm. Who runs these sweepstakes? What do they do with our information? Does anyone ever win the damn car? These seemingly simple questions led me down a vortex of shady marketing tactics, timeshare salesmen, and third-party resale markets and exposed the dirty underbelly of how our information is brokered. And then the next headline is the company behind the curtain. First things first, the mall isn't buying these giveaways. They merely rent out the advertising space. Listen how much they charge. $1,500 a day for these timeshare companies to park this car in the middle of the mall. Pretty good money for the mall. And as it turns out, they're oh, part- that ought to tell you everything you need to know about uh, how much money the other side of the equation is making. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> and as it turns out, their partnership standards are pretty low. After four calls to the Great Mall, a receptionist finally relinquishes the name of the firm running the car giveaway, Great Destinations, a timeshare vacation rental company based in Orange County, California. I called them up. And guy named Patrick answers, when I asked for the odds of winning the car, he turns hostile. Patrick, what's your name? Zach. Zach. Patrick, 
Last name, Zach. Why do you need my last Patrick? Last name or I can't do anything for you. Zach, okay, but Patrick says, don't play me, okay? Thank you. Abruptly hangs up. Classy with a K. Mm-hmm. So I pass the torch to our managing editor, Lindsay, who sets up an untraceable number and calls under the alias Katie Sanders. Patrick collects a Rolodex of her, quote, fake data, full name, age. These are all the things they have to give just to get this question answered. And all they're trying to have answered is what's the odds of winning the car? Full name, age, marital status, then tells her she has to be at least 28 to enter the drawing. Tell your parents to call me, he says, and hangs up. (laughs) So her, quote, dad, our writer Connor, gives it one last try. Patrick tells Connor that in order to win the car, he has to go to a local Great Destinations office and attend a 90-minute timeshare presentation. For good measure, he offers to throw in a, quote, free vacation package to Disneyland. So not only is he going to have a chance at the car, he also is going to Disneyland for free. Behind curtain number two, right. I love the fact that we get to read about how this, because haven't you always wondered how this crap works? It gets worse or better, depending on which. For me, it's better because I'm just sitting here with the popcorn. Popcorn. Uh, But if you're going through this, imagine. But what about the car? Does anyone ever win it? Asks Connor. Not yet, replies Patrick. You're probably the one. We're waiting for you. Exclamation point. (laughs) The fine print tells a different story. In the legal disclaimer of the car giveaway, there's a statement that contradicts Patrick's sales bravado. It says, uh, thank you, press button below to complete your registration. This is back at the car. And this is highlighted, OG. Get this. Any vehicle. So there's a bunch of stuff it says. Mystery envelopes from the GD Game Board with it for a $100,000 prize. The sum of the mystery envelope cash value equals $1,000 finalist as a cash destination. It goes through all the stuff. But uh, the hustle has highlighted one line. Any vehicle boat or other representation displayed are examples only nice you won the car it's an 87 chevelle can you but there's not even a car to win <laughs> you can win the car except you can't because when you get to the fine print there is no car there is no car the car's a the loner matrix. yeah the car's a loaner from local dealer acura fremont despite what the sweepstakes marketing may suggest it's not up for grabs we called the dealer and they confirmed the vehicle on display isn't part of the giveaway at all. What you're really signing up for is the opportunity to win an opportunity to possibly win a small amount of taxable cash. Here's what actually happens. And they dug into the fine print. One, you enter the sweepstakes. Two, you have to attend a 90-minute timeshare presentation. Three, you get a scratch-off lotto ticket. Four, if you're a, quote, grand prize winner, you get to then play a game for a chance to win $100,000. The game is, and the game is in quotes, is that the finalist gets to open four mystery envelopes with random amounts of cash. Last year had two big winners. You know how much they won? How much? One won $575 and the other won $700. (laughs) And they say here, about enough to buy one side view mirror for your Acura. (laughs) That's the absolute best case scenario of entering one of these contests. Others aren't so lucky. Days after entering to win the car, Maggie Nicholson received a call informing her her name was drawn after sitting... through a two-hour timeshare presentation with boiler room-like sales tactics, she was told there was no car, but she was eligible for a vacation package. When I declined, they proceeded to tell our 12-year-old daughter, quote, I guess your parents won't take you on your dream vacation, she says. Then they handed over her prize, a $25 restaurant voucher that required a $100 minimum spend to redeem it. (laughs) That's awesome. Oh, it's so great. Anyway. There's no such thing as a free lunch. 
I got to tell you, we have no relationship with this email, The Hustle, but I really like it. If uh, The Hustle is always a fun read like that. Good stuff there. I don't know what the takeaway is, except yeah. for there it don't is. Don't give people your stuff. Yeah. Except for if you think it's a scam, as you're walking by that beautiful car in the mall, because every time I've walked by it, I'm like, oh, that's probably a scam. It's even worse than you thought it was. <laughs> the next piece comes to us from CNBC personal finance. Don't be afraid of AI managing your money. This is written by Carmen Reinecke. Would you want a robot managing your money? Are you comfortable with a computer that could learn and think? Well, this may sound like a futuristic science fiction novel. It's already happening in financial services. Robots and smart computers are helping to manage your money and they'll enable banks to increase revenue and employment over the next five years, according to a report by Accenture on realizing the full value of AI. I'm just going to skip to to the main points of this piece, and we'll link to it on our show notes page because we spend a lot of time on the hustle. But banks like J.P. Morgan, Bank of America, and Wells Fargo are increasingly using AI for corporate and retail clients. And I love this quote. Uh, one gentleman, and I hope I can find it, says that, quote, it'll help advisors make better decisions and spend less time on the boring parts of the job, said Paul Dravis, partner of Future Perfect Machine. Basically saying that financial, well, not even basically, financial advisors and banking employees say that new advances in technology are nothing to fear. In fact, most think it'll help them do their jobs more effectively. And this is the key. We've talked about this. Robo-advisor is a misnomer. It's robots helping your advisor, I think, is the sweet spot here, OG. Yeah. Well, anything that you can use with technology to improve your experience, or if you're in the service business, like financial advisors are, right? Anything that you can do to help the experience for your consumer is helpful. I remember 20 years ago doing financial plans where you would hit enter to quote solve it, right? Where it would do the math for you. And you had enough time to go get a cup of coffee, talk to your buddy, and then come back and go, oh, shoot, I forgot to include social security. And you do it again, it would take another 20 minutes to, quote, solve and do the math. <laughs> and now that little spinning wheel. Yeah, yeah. Sure. You remember it, too. But now you can almost do it in real time. Right. And technology is is helpful. You still need to know what to solve for. Right? Yeah, it's you still not have about, to know the assumptions. It's it's yeah. the technology is improving the experience and it's making it so we can make faster decisions. But you have to still know what kind of questions to ask. I think it it helps the advisor, the good advisor focus on not the commodity, which is the information and problem solving. We knew a long time ago that could happen. We talked about last week on the show about how I had Todd who worked with me. We got a question about becoming a financial advisor. Yep. Todd that worked with me who did all of this stuff because we knew that the value of my time as the lead advisor was being in front of clients and helping them figure out what the smart move was and what the smart move wasn't and educating them between the two and helping them with better behaviors and those type of things that a, that a, a robot's going to have trouble with. But, yeah. r- but really, that advisory job's not going away. I think the Todd job is going to kind of go away yeah. or at least change. But I like how this report says, hey, the financial advisory business is actually going to get bigger because of AI. Not going to get smaller. Yeah. It's, it's going to get bigger. But I think cool. that also means that if you're going into financial planning, it's more of a knowledge business, OG. Like, you know, fewer secretaries, phone jockeys, you know, people that are doing the stuff between the advisor and the client and more stuff that really requires an education in the area of finance. Everybody's got to upgrade their livelihood in this space. Advisors need to get better. Staff people need to get better. You got to keep on trying to improve on 
the experience that your consumers can have or clients can have. Which is also the other point that I have here. If, if you have a robo-advisor and you think that you have a robo-advisor to save yourself from having a human because it's the same thing in a box, it isn't. It totally isn't. It's two totally different different things, which is why we, per, I personally hate the name robo-advisor. Mm-hmm. Good services offered there, but not uh, – uh, what, what is that? Uh, that may not mean what you think it means. Yeah. <laughs> right. right. Uh, that's our first takeaway. Second takeaway, obviously, from the hustle is uh, – Don't give people your stuff. There's a sucker born every minute. Right. Fritz Gilbert is a friend of ours. He's been on the show before on our round table, mixing it up with uh, Len and Paula and OG. We're so happy he's back and we're celebrating with him because he just crossed the retirement line from his job, but he hasn't retired from the retirement manifesto, which means he's still working OG. He's just doing something he absolutely loves. Ran through the retirement line. Let's hear how he did it. Yes. Let's say hello to our friend Fritz Gilbert from the Retirement Manifesto. Fritz, man, how you doing? Joe, I'm doing great. Nice to see you in the basement. I can't believe I'm in the basement. This is awesome. <laughs> it's much nicer than I pictured for some reason. I thought it was like bare concrete walls, but it, it, it looks pretty nice down there. Your mom's got a nice basement there. Well, but now it's bare shelves because I'm trying to become you. Well, one step closer. <laughs> We're going to move. You I'm moved. sorry. That's such a pain. That's such a pain. You moved into retirement. We moved. Uh, well, retirement's not really you, right? So you didn't. I'm, I mean, do you like that word retire? You know what I think of it? I think of it like new tires on a car. Retire. I'm retiring the vehicle. So yeah, I've retired, but I'm retiring, not retired, if that makes sense. No, it does make sense. I want to talk about you now. So we show people kind of the mountaintop and then we'll talk about how you got there. So tell me what a day in the life of Fritz is today? Well, I'm, I just finished my third week of retirement and Joe, you know, this is something I've been working for, for years. I've been writing my blog for three years, specifically planning for this. And I would say it has met all, and now I'm still in the honeymoon. I'm realistic. I know retirement has phases, right? I'm still absolutely in the honeymoon phase, but the way I describe it to people is if you think about when you're going on a two-week vacation and you're in that first week, so you're not thinking about work yet, you may, yeah, you might take a little time off your emails. You're not quite checking them quite as close. I still got another week of vacation. That's absolutely the mindset. It's like emails don't matter. If I get to them, I get to them. It's all personal stuff now anyway. I turned in my work computer. I turned in my work phone. I feel like I'm 50 pounds lighter and floating on the ceiling. It's it's a wonderful feeling. So a typical day is kind of whatever I want it to be. Uh, we live up in the mountains now, as you said. Um, we've got four rescue dogs. We're big on dogs. And we've got about, a, I don't know, a thousand acres of woods behind our house. So every morning I go out and walk the dogs, kind of hang out in the morning and have some coffee with the wife, nice and relaxed morning. And then we kind of do one or two activities throughout the day, walk the dogs again at night, watch a baseball game in the evening. It's just, it's relaxed. It's surreal. It's better than I would have dreamed. So it, retirement is a great thing. I'm very happy with it. Two questions though about that. Number one, you brought up the steps of retirement and uh, that's something that I've spent a lot of time around. You already know then that the second step is there's this boredom, this un- ennui that hits. Does that worry you that you know that that's coming? Yeah, worry is a worry is a word I try to avoid, right? We can consciously choose how we how we approach things, but I do think about it for sure. And you know, I I've intentionally tried to build things my last couple of years of work 
I call them bridges. I've been trying to build these bridges into retirement, things that I could start building while I was still working, that when the work went away, they would still be there, right? And and those have been successful. One has been my blog. One has been, you know, we talk about the dog rescue that we're doing, some community service related stuff. I had an unexpected thing that came up a week before I retired. You know, unexpected things happen. This was an unexpected for the positive. I got invited to be on a board of directors, thought about it. Hey, I want to be retired. Is this invading on that space? And the, the guy was very clear. He said, look, he said, I said, we totally get that. We use a lot of retired people on our boards. He said, I'm talking one day a quarter. You know, we'll fly you into wherever the board meeting is. So I, I've done that. I, we had one board meeting already. So I'm only three weeks into retirement. And I already went to the airport and traveled to a board meeting. So I've, I haven't even thought about being bored yet. But I was intentional in trying to build activities before I got here to address that. And, you know, something else, I'll tell you this. I, I, we'll get into it later, but I think it fits here. About a year ago, my wife and I started a retirement activity jar as a concept of ways to build activities for retirement. And each one of us over the last year have just kind of randomly been putting little notes in this jar. I don't know what she's put in. She doesn't know what I've put in. And now we're in retirement. We pulled our first one out this morning, actually. So, you know, we're starting to pull items out of the jar and whatever that activity is, that's an activity we're going to do that week. So we've tried to be intentional on building things that give us things to do. How much were you able to save toward retirement? Is is that number public? Uh, I don't save it, but it's a. Uh, I, I did. I do an article for Budgets Are Sexy about being a 401k millionaire. So we've got over a million in our 401k, and obviously we have more, you know, in joint trust rights of survivorship, you know, after tax type stuff. So yeah, we we've got you know a pretty healthy seven figure um, net worth that is pretty liquid and and retirement ready. And you know the important thing about that. Being an early retiree, you can't just look at the 401k money. You've got to make sure you've got enough money in the after tax and, you know, Roth, if you're going to go that way, something to bridge yourself over to when you can access the retirement funds. So we laid all that out. I, I did a, a retirement cash flow. It's actually, I've got a template on my on my blog, but basically we laid out to age 95, kind of an annual drawdown by account. So you could say, okay, we're going to pull this out of after tax. And we made sure that we had enough in after tax. And we're going to use about a 3% safe withdrawal rate. We're being conservative, yeah, you know, a little concerned about markets being overvalued, et cetera. So based on a 3% withdrawal rate, we've got enough money in the various tax buckets to access this all the way through. And that was really what determined the date that we could retire was doing this you know, 40-year cash flow and making sure we had enough under various scenarios. Yeah. And how, are, how old are you now? I'm 55. Okay, cool. So you don't have to bridge that long, really. No, you know, the biggest risk is obviously private health insurance. I got to go 10 years in private pay, my wife and I, and, you know, I'll do COBRA for 18 months with my employer. That's fine. So we've got a little bit of time and I'm watching it closely and I'm monitoring what a lot of other people in the, you know, whole personal finance space are doing. A lot of the health sharing ministries are getting a lot of press. We haven't made a decision yet. We've got some time, but you know, the big risk is what's it going to cost you? You know, number one, can you get it? And number two, what's it going to cost? Because it's inflating so, so quickly after the, you know, the Obamacare ACA and, you know, we're, we're planning 25,000 a year and we're inflating it at like 5%. I'm not convinced that's going to be enough. So yeah, it's, it's a stretch. That's the biggest concern I think that we have. Let's uh, go back to the very beginning of your career because it's funny, you know, you talk to people in your twenties and early thirties and a lot of, a lot of people in their twenties and thirties listen to the show. What did you do early on then that kind of set this up? Yeah, that's a great question. My daughter is actually 24 and and I wrote a post for her about, you know, the steps you need to take in your 20s, the first steps you need to take to establish yourself on a path to financial independence. And no doubt, we we know the power of compounding. It's a common topic, obviously, 
But those early years, getting those savings started early, even if it's not a lot, just automating the process, contributing to your 401k or whatever your employer has, at least get the match, right? That's a minimum. And that's where we started. We started with a 6% contribution of the 401k. I didn't really even know what I was doing. We started with that, got the match. And then as I started studying this stuff, I've, I've always been kind of a personal finance hobbyist, you know, my whole life. So pretty quickly on, I recognized the value of that. And every time I got a raise, we took say you get a 3% raise, we took 2% of it, automatically shoveled it into the 401k, and we only took 1% more home in the paycheck. And we just did that consistently for the first 10 or 15 years, got to where we were maxing out the 401k, kept doing the same approach and putting the incremental then into you know after-tax accounts. So I think it's it's getting in the habit of automated savings and getting in that habit early is more important than the actual dollar amount. It sounds like Fritz, you, you kind of boiled the frog. You started small and then just kept notching it up, notching it up, notching it up. Exactly. And you know, it doesn't look like much. I went back when I did this uh, 401k millionaire story, I went back and after 10 years, my 401k balance was pathetic. You know I mean? It takes forever for it to grow. But you you plot that line and it's it's not linear, right? It it starts curving it starts curving north at about twenty years. And by the time, you know, I've been working thirty-three years, you get into year twenty-five plus and, and suddenly your your investments are growing more than your salary, you know, and that's where you see the value of the compounding. But it, it's boiling the frog. It's it's very small incremental increasing the flame every year and you get closer and closer to fire, right? Bad analogy, but it's kind of a good analogy. So we'll use it. So we talk about that. Well, that's, that's your role here, Fritz is to make the bad analogy work because I have that role usually, but today it's you. Okay. Very good. We talk about this all the time though. You know, the rule of 72 and your money doubling, and it's not the first double. That's the important one to your point. It's the last double. So the quicker you can get that last double to happen, the better off you're going to be. Did you feel differently about work? when you first started than you did the last five years? Yeah, no doubt. No doubt. I remember I was probably five years into my career and I was talking to my uncle. He was a very successful business guy and he was in the last five years of his retirement. He goes, how's your job going? And I said, you know, Carl, I said, I love my job. I said, I really enjoy what I'm doing. He goes, man, he said, count your blessings. He said, so few people really enjoy what they're doing, you know? And I was like, no, I love what I'm doing. And I really loved what I was doing for probably 20, 25 years. And, you know, the last five years, you've been doing it a long time. You know, you're on the land, you know, you're on the approach to the landing here. You're in the final descent. It's just hard to stay as motivated about work when you know the next chapter's coming. And yeah, the last couple of years, you're just kind of plodding through. And it's, I did my job 110%, you know, when at work, work. That was one of the articles I wrote. And I absolutely gave my all to my employer. But mentally, you're just not as, you're not as engaged in the last five years as you were in the first 20, 25. Clearly, that, that happened to me anyway. Do you remember it though? Was it like a switch going off? Do you remember one day you're like, what the hell am I doing? Yeah, you know, it's funny. In my retirement speech, I talked about how our careers are, they're like roller coasters. They have ups and downs. And I didn't tell this story in my retirement, but I thought about it when I wrote the speech. It comes down to who you work for, right? And and I landed at one point in my career working for a guy and it was just oil and vinegar. We just didn't, or oil and water, whatever it is. We didn't get along. And I just didn't like my job. You know, I was stressed. And it just like a switch, it just flipped. And I went from, you know, really being engaged, really moving pretty quickly in my career to suddenly this guy thinks I'm a, you know, not, not bringing the value. And, and I didn't, I didn't like him. And it was just that change in management relationship changed my whole outlook on my career. And and I finally got out of working for him and I got working for a great guy the last 10 years of my career. And it certainly helped, but no doubt 
moving to work for that guy was probably the biggest change mentally that I had in my career. It's, it's so bad that people that manage other people, I don't think they think about that enough. Like the power of every little thing you do, the power of consistency, and you break that consistency once. I was talking to somebody the other day who's a young manager. I said, the two things you don't mess with, don't mess with people's time off and don't mess with their paycheck. Like do that's not right. mess with those two things ever, ever, ever. But that's just kind of like the starter thing for it. You know what I mean? I mean, that's yeah. not being a great manager. That's just being competent. But I feel like 90% of the people I talk to out there that leave their job, it's because they messed with their time off or they messed with their paycheck. Um, yeah. Anyway, yeah. Well, you know, something else I've done too. I, I, I kept a little secret note and I told people this when, at my retirement dinner, but um, I kept a secret file on my computer for 20 years and I would write three things, people I either worked for or people that I worked with, but primarily people that I worked for. And for every person that I worked for, for 30 years, basically, I would write down three things, either things that are doing well that I want to replicate in my own management style or things that really ticked me off and I wanted to avoid. And it's amazing. I should write a book because I probably got 150 things on this list you and you put them all together and it's a really holistic view on what makes an effective leader, you know, and, and it's exactly that. It's keep your people motivated. Don't do stupid things that give short term gain, but destroy morale because morale takes a long time to rebuild. And that's really what what drives success in a business and, and makes your employees happy, you know, and man, you kill people's morale and it, it that's, that's really dangerous, really and it, dangerous. And it's scary how fast that morale can go away too. So, yeah. So yeah. scary. Uh, by the way, do you also keep a secret file of all the podcasts you go on and the bad things about the <laughs> podcasters, how bad the basements are that you have to go into for this crap? You're like, really? Uh, I'd, I'd tell you, but I'd have to kill you, Joe. But uh, <laughs> actually, you know, it's funny you say that because I actually do have a spreadsheet on all the different podcasts I've been on and blogs and everything. Yeah, it's, but it's no secrets. It's just how to get in touch with people. I got their email addresses, you know, oh, yeah. when I was on the show. So I do actually have a little spreadsheet, but no no secrets in there. I'm it's okay. I'm starting to sweat now. Fritz is taking notes <laughs> about how good this is or how bad. Yeah. Yeah. This is That's a great question, Joe. Uh-huh. Great. Hold on a second. I got to write that down. <laughs> Let's talk about the planning process. So initially you're moving toward this idea of a retirement and I like the retire idea, but this idea of that, when did you really start to build that spreadsheet though, that, okay, here's how my income's going to need to work. Was that five years ago? Was that 10 years ago? Where was the genesis there? Yeah. Good question. And for your younger listeners, I would say, don't even think about retirement, you know, for the first 20, everybody, oh, I want to retire at 35. Okay. If you're in a case where you want to have extreme early retirement, okay. Probably a different mindset. Mine was for somebody that wants to retire a little bit early, but not crazy, right? I retired at 55. So if you're in that mindset where you want to retire a little bit early, but not crazy early, don't obsess about it too early. Do your job. Focus on getting your promotions. Focus on making as much money as you can make as early as you can make it because that's going to get you on your path and focus on saving as much as you can save and the rest will take care of itself. So that was my mindset for 25 years. Probably about 10 years out, I recognized, hey, I'm in pretty good shape. You know, you do all the articles about where should you be at certain age. Hey, I'm kind of ahead of the plan. I might be able to pull this off. And I started getting a little bit more serious about it. Five years out is when I really, and at that point, 10 years out, I was running some retirement calculators, just getting a rough sense, you know, high level, how do things look? Five years out is when I really started getting serious. And what I found, Joe, it's really interesting. The first, and I'm sure a lot of your listeners would feel the same way. When you're about five years out, it's all about the money, right? Everything is 
the assets, the cash flow, the safe withdrawal rate, the asset allocation, you know, the withdrawal strategy. And it's all, it was all about that retirement cash flow spreadsheet. And I worked on that and I worked on that and I started doing more retirement calculators and I started, you know, making sure they had Monte Carlo, you know, I was really starting to pay attention to the details on the numbers. And that was probably year five to year three. At that point, um, year three, I actually talked to a certified financial planner, a guy that you know, and he actually did a deep dive, you know, on my numbers and said, you know what, it looks like you're in good shape to go. So I, I had at that point, I've always been a do-it-yourselfer, but I did get some external eyes to look at it to make sure I wasn't missing anything. That was about year three. And then at year three, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to be able to make this work. I started the blog. I started writing about it. And an interesting thing happens at like year two, maybe year one out, you start recognizing that the money's going to make it. You're going to be okay on the money and you start paying a lot more attention to the lifestyle stuff and the softer side. You mentioned, hey, are, are you, were you worried about being bored in yeah. retirement, right? Yeah. That starts coming in at year two, maybe, where you really start thinking about what's the life going to be like in retirement and start mentally preparing for that because what I've read is, you know, you have a 40% greater chance of being depressed in retirement than when you're working. And the number one root cause that they found to help minimize that risk is spend time before you retire thinking about what you want your life to be like after you retire. So it's kind of a slope. And the money side started sloping down and becoming less of a focus. And the lifestyle and the, the dream, you know, what do you want your life to be, started ramping up. To the point where six months out, you don't even really look at the money anymore. You know where you're going to be. I did all my projections. Here's what my starting balances are going to be. I updated that, you know. But beyond that, I was 90% mentally, 90% about figuring out our post-retirement lifestyle. And, and that, was, that was the transition. I love this idea, though, because most people, by the way, Fritz, don't do it that way. The six months before they go, they're so engrossed in the money, and can I really pull this off? that they don't think at all about what they're going to do, which is where the depression comes from. So I love this idea of getting the money topics squared away first and then spending the majority of your time on the goal setting aspect, because I think the goal setting and what am I going to do next? I mean, listen, you're 55 years old. You're really at halftime. You know, if you look, yeah. at, if you look yeah. at statistics for a lot of people, so you're going to spend a lot of years doing other stuff. And if, you know, if, if I was still a financial planner and you came into my office and you told me you were going to golf for the rest of your life, or I'm going to travel, I'd say baloney. <laughs> Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. And I think, you know, what's interesting is as you think through that retirement lifestyle, and it really encompasses two areas. I think one is where do you want to live, right? You have to, and that was probably two to three years out. That was kind of the first phase of it is, is where do we want to be, right? Because for the first time in our lives, we can live anywhere we want to live. I'm no longer dictated by my job. So you figure out where you want to live. That by definition, drive some financial decisions, right? You're going to downsize, which we did. So you include that in your financial calculations, but it's more about lifestyle. Where do you want to be? What do you, you know, we're in an area in the mountains, there's lakes, there's hiking trails, there's mountain biking. There's, you know, I, I like to do cold water swimming. There's a beautiful lake nearby, et cetera, et cetera, fly fishing. So you look for the activities you want to do. And then as you 
hone in on where you want to live. We moved two years prior to retirement. So I, I laugh when you talk about your moving. We've been there, done that. We actually moved twice. We moved to the mountains to a, a weekend place that we had. Once we were living there full time, and I, I got a small apartment in the city because I still had to work. But once we were there basically full time, we started recognizing this isn't really our ideal retirement retreat, right? There were some things that we would prefer to have. We came up with a list of 10 things. One, for an example, we wanted to have a driveway. We're in the mountains, right? Everything's on a hill. We wanted to have a driveway that was flat enough that we could park our fifth wheel out there. Okay. That was one of 10 items, right? One was we wanted to have a flat enough yard that I could put a nice big man cave out there, a nice shed, you know? So I got now I got a nice big shed. We wanted to have a yard that was big enough that we could fence it in for our dogs, right? So we had these lists of, of items and we said, we're patient. We've got time. Let's start looking at properties, but they've got to meet these 10 items that we had predetermined. We found the place. We actually moved a second time to move to our great retirement cabin. We call it our good to great move. And that, again, was a financial consideration, but it's more about the lifestyle, right? So you do those two things. You focus on where you're going to be. Then you say, okay, now you know where you're going to be. What are you going to do with your time? And you want to make sure you get your toys lined up, right? You got your fifth <laughs> wheel. We got our kayaks. We got a new truck to pull the fifth wheel. And you build all those into your financial thing so that you know what your starting balance of cash is going to be. And you kind of work that towards when can I retire? Do I have enough money to get the toys? Yep. Check. Okay. Have I bought the toys? Yep. Check. Is my ending cash balance where I thought it was going to be? Yep. Check. Good. We can pull the plug. So that's kind of the process, you know, where it's a combination of financial and lifestyle. You talked about you had this list of 10 things and having the man cave was on it. I love the fact, Fritz, that that wasn't just on your list. It was on yours and your wife's list. Like get him the hell out of <laughs> away, away from the house. Like that's both of you. But, but actually I guess that joke brings up a serious question. How much compromise is there in your list? If you're married going into retirement? Yeah. Well, let me, let me start the preface with this. I think it's important for everybody to recognize retirement is a we, not an I, right? Retirement is absolutely as big a change for your spouse, whether your spouse is working and she's the one retiring or the man is retiring. It doesn't matter. Whoever the stay at home person is, right. or if you're both working and retiring at the same time, obviously. But, you know, in our case, my wife was a stay at home mom. It was great. So she'd been home for a while. Our daughter, we were empty nest. She's out of the house. And we recognized it was going to be as big an adjustment for her as it was for me. So we talked through that as, as we go through this retirement lifestyle thing. You know, we do, fortunately, my wife and I are very compatible on on our, you know, activities and things that interest us. She's she's very outdoorsy and we like to hike and camp. And a lot of those activities were aligned. But, you know, inevitably there's there's going to be a few and you've got to make sure that you're listening to both sides of it because you're both retiring together and you both have to design the life that you're comfortable living, you know, to get because you're going to be together a lot. Right. So we built kind of a, a week, a, a hypothetical week. And we said, OK, let's just kind of think about what a week's going to be like. And we carved out time for each of us to do individual things. We carved out time to do things together. And, you know, we recognize there's going to be we're, we're going to have to have some time where we, you know, get alone. Right. And and do things because we're used to having that alone time. I had my apartment. She was home. We we had things that filled those hours. And you've still got to appreciate that there's some value to that and determine what you still want to do that you have to have some me time to do and align on that as well as part of your retirement planning. Absolutely. Last question is the biggest expense that retirement planners talk about is this idea of long-term care. And and actually differently than a lot of people worry about, which is worry about what if I, what if 
I go into a long-term care facility, it really isn't about that because most people don't recover from that. It's what if you go into a long-term care facility and your spouse lives a long time after that and you've sucked all the money out of this plan. Yeah. Yeah. What yeah. do you get? What are you guys doing to prep for that? Yeah, that's, that's a really hard one, Joe. And, and, you know, there is no perfect answer, right? Um, a lot of planning is you, you put your best guess forward and you have to be prepared to be flexible. We did a very deep dive. I, I wrote a pretty comprehensive post on it. And, you know, the long-term care costs have inflated so much, sure. right? Yeah. So the way, the way we looked at it is we kind of said, let's look at scenario A and scenario B. Scenario A is you start shelling out long-term care premiums. And I don't remember what they were, but it was expensive. Let's, for the sake of an, an argument, let's say it was 15, let's make it $1,000 a month. I think it was, was more gonna, than that. But, I was going to yeah, say, let's, <clears throat> let's just call it a billion. Yeah, yeah. But let's just say it's $1,000 a month for the sake of this example, right? So you start paying $1,000 a month the long-term care premiums in scenario A. I got my 95-year-old cash flow. We funnel out $1,000 a month into you know long-term care premium, and you look at your net worth over time, and you see what that looks like. Scenario B is you keep that $1,000 that you would have put into long-term care, and you invest it. And we used a 6% projected return and we said, let's be a little conservative, but you know, it's going to be invested for long-term, right? You don't normally need this stuff until you're in your eighties. So let's take that thousand dollars a month and assume we invest it standalone account, set it aside and let's grow it. And what we came up with, and I, you know, I could be wrong, right? But the way that the math worked out in our case was by the time we got to be in our early to mid eighties, we could self fund about three to four years of long-term care. And you don't have to worry about long-term care premiums going up, right? You don't have to worry about potentially losing your insurance because the premiums go up so much you can't afford it in your retirement cash flow. So we decided to self-insure. And our hope is, number one, if neither one of us need it, then that's money that we can use for legacy. If we do need it, we've got roughly three years that is our break-even point between buying the insurance and self-insuring. Which and is the a, average which is a long-term good number. care stays. Go ahead. No, I was just going to say that's a good number. Like a three-year, four-year number is a good number to work yeah. from. So that was that was kind of our approach. And we kind of looked at it and said, you know what? Cross our fingers and hope we don't get into a situation where either the cost of this care is much higher than we think or it's longer than three or four years that one of us needs it. Or it then happens we're kind earlier. Of screwed, right? Yeah, or it happens earlier. Or it happens earlier. Yeah. That's right. But I do love so, the fact that you have a plan. And I think you know where the Achilles heels are in your plan. Like every plan has an Achilles heel. I think you know where where yours is, and there's no yeah. there's no easy way around it. It's such a pain in the ass. That's right. That's yeah. right. And you know, I think too, being at, at our age, you know, my dad's eighty five. He's living in a assisted living. My mother in law's eighty four, and she's in a full time care. She's got Alzheimer's. You know, we're seeing those realities with our parents, right? They're yeah. they're starting to suffer the dementia, the the need to have care. They can't take care of themselves. And it makes it a lot more real when you're dealing with it with your parents. You realize, hey, it's something you got to plan for and you got to plan for it in your 50s because if you wait until your 70s, guess what? You can't afford long-term care anyway at that right. point. So it is something you need to address as part of your retirement planning, no doubt. Yeah, no, it is, it is ugly. But I love the fact that also there's other ways than insurance, you know, that's good stuff. So to end on that happy note, <laughs> <laughs> let me add it to my secret file. Joe is bashing me on long-term care. Okay. Got it. Go ahead. I, did, I didn't, I did, I did question it, but it's good. It's good. I like it. Uh, let's talk about the retirement manifesto. Your awesome blog. Uh, tell me what's going on there now, Fritz. Cause you always have like this circus of stuff coming out of Fritz's brain. 
<laughs> Where does this stuff come from? Always, I don't know. always fun. To I, read. I, I tell you what, Joe. You know, there's there's certain things. This is why I think as you think about what you want to do in retirement, open up your mind and explore and just try new stuff, right? I totally tried this on a whim about three years ago. I'm like, yeah, what the heck? I'll start a blog, right? And what I found over the last three years is I absolutely have a passion for this stuff, and I love to write. And the feedback I'm getting from the readers is. There aren't a lot of bloggers in their 50s, right? Most bloggers are younger, fire bloggers. That's fine. There's a place for that. But there aren't a lot of guys my age or women my age that are writing about retirement that are actually going through it. So it's been great because I feel like there's this huge crowd of cheerleaders that have been cheering me on towards the finish line, you know, the starting line, as I call it, the starting line of retirement. And the feedback has been just exhilarating, right? All these people encouraging me and excited for me. Hey, I'm right behind you. I'm six months behind you. I retired six months earlier. There's a whole group of us that are going through this that kind of live vicariously through my blog posts and in the comments, the comments are fantastic. You know, the exchanges you get into with the readers. So yeah, so basically the Retirement Manifesto has been chronicling our, our journey for the past three years and now it's chronicling our, our life in retirement, you know. So we talked about Expect the Unexpected and my last post and I talked about this thing with the uh, the board of directors that came out of the blue and so it's real, it's current and it's basically telling the stories of our lives and telling them in a way that isn't just me me, me, but it's principles and it's lessons and it's stages in life and the decisions you have to make and how we're going about making that decision and things you might want to think about as you make your own decision with the goal of helping people achieve a great retirement. That's really what the blog's all about. And all presented in a really fun way. And um, and you're right, huge sense of community at your blog, which makes it a lot of fun too. Yeah. Uh, Nothing like stacking Benjamins though. You guys are crushing <laughs> it. I love you guys. You're, you're so much fun. I really, I've always enjoyed your podcast. No I've listened to you for years. So it's, it's great to be on your show too. As you know, I'm just entertaining me, Fritz. And by the way, if you're on your commute or you're walking the dog or whatever you might be, we've got you covered. We've got all the links to the retirement manifesto and the stuff we talked about today on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Fritz, thanks for stopping by the basement, man. Hey, thank you, Joe. Appreciate it. And good luck with your move. I, I'm thinking about you. It's tough. Oh my God. Any hair I have left is going to be <laughs> gone after this. Hey there, trivia nerds. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. And just when you thought this podcast couldn't get any better, we pull out all the stops and unleash my trivia. Check this out. What book, first published today in 1951, missed out on a ton of Benjamins because its author had had a bad experience with another project and forbid it? Need a clue? This book is one of the most often taught and also one of the most often banned. I'll be back with the answer in just a moment. This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers. They're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hey, stackers. Hope you're having a fantastic holiday season with our fire episodes. Loving these. 
We love bringing them to you. Another thing we love is Navy Federal Credit Union's Cash Rewards Card that helps you slay the season. You can earn up to 1.75% cash back on all purchases. When you sign up for direct deposit, you can redeem points as soon as you earn them. Learn more at NavyFederal.org. That's NavyFederal.org. Love Navy Federal because their members are their mission. And, of course, this is all insured by NCUA. Hey there, Trivia Heads. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, bringing some culture to this show by sharing classic American literature trivia. Here was the question. What book first published today in 1951 missed out on a ton of Benjamins because its author had had a bad experience with another project and forbid it? The answer? J.D. Salinger decided enough was enough because a movie project for his short story, Uncle Wiggly in Connecticut, had gone poorly and decided that Catcher in the Rye, his most famous work, would never be made into a movie. Ha! And all this time I thought it was called Catcher in the Eye. I knew that didn't make sense. I better get reading. See ya! Thanks again to Fritz for stopping by. Congratulations to him. It's exciting to hear how somebody really plans for retirement. Like not all the theoretical stuff and the experts that we hear here, OG, but really putting the ball in play. Well, it's fun to listen to uh, somebody who's actually done it, right? Yeah. And uh, their experiences and great stuff, especially what to, what to learn from a guy like Fritz. Uh, Hey, let's throw out Haven Lifeline. We're going to tackle some of life's most important questions. Our friends at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they put what you value first. Free car giveaways (laughs) and material non-public information of random strangers. (laughs) Or your loved ones in your time. Of course, they have all of your loved ones' private information as well. Yeah, they do by that time. And that's why Haven Life has made buying quality term life insurance actually simple. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life now to get a free quote. Go ahead and do it now. There's a pause button. It's important enough that you <laughs> we can wait for you. Seriously, we say that. But how many how many decisions are uh, something you should do right now, like buying term life insurance? I mean, that's let's get our life insurance in order right now. And as soon as you're back, you can listen to us take the call from our new friend, Steve. Say hi, Steve. Hi, Joe and OG. My name's Steve, and I've been listening for about six months now, and I'm really struggling to learn, which is why, of course, you're hearing my voice now. I have a question about target date funds, which you've discussed quite a few times in recent episodes. Most of them suck, but I have a Fidelity 401k that has lots of options. However, those options are actually Chase, JP Morgan, target date funds. When I'm looking at how much those cost and whether or not they suck, should I be just concerned with the net expense ratio that is listed, or do I have to drill into all of the funds that make up that larger fund? Thanks. Until Doug, I said hi. Thanks, Steve. And Doug said, uh, meet him down at the Sizzler, and the first plate of peel and eat shrimp is on you, Steve. So there you go. <laughs> That's what you get for saying hi to Doug. <laughs> He'll be waiting. He w- and he will be waiting. We are not kidding. Yes. Drumming his fingers. So does he have to drill down expenses on expenses? No. However, there are some other expenses associated with mutual funds that make it less awesome than even the fees published. And this is a much harder thing to find. I think Rick Edelman details this out in his book, Truth About Money. 
But right, what we're looking for here is the statement of additional information. Yeah. And there's all sorts of other costs associated with running an investment, right? Trading costs, costs of cash sitting idle because of redeeming shareholders. There's uh, the cost of margin. There's the cost of borrowing. All of those things eat into your return, but they don't manifest themselves in the expense ratio. And so part of the reason why target date funds are less than ideal is because of the expenses, right? Because you can look at it and say, well, this is just five funds, all the funds within the funds type of thing, which is annoying. And sometimes they'll discount those a little bit. But then there's also that additional information stuff, which is a lot harder to find. And I think the biggest issue with target date funds is the fact that it changes the asset allocation too early. You know, for me, that's the biggest piece. It's that- That they lay, you know, in, the, lay in the plane before you need the money? Yeah. You know, it says, oh, well, you're going to retire at 60. So we're going to have you really conservative by the time you get to 60. Well, that means that at 59 and a half, you're really conservative. At 59, you're pretty conservative. At 55, you're also really conservative. And we've talked about that last doubling being the- yeah. Most important one, right? And so, and by the way, to OG's point, do not write to us and say, no, you don't understand that they're through the date. We, we understand they're through the date. They're still landing the plane. They're still making it incredibly conservative, even though target date funds are by and large built. Knowing- just like age based funds in 529 plans. Although I can get behind those a little bit more because that's consuming them. Yeah, but 529 plans is going to be a little different because they'll completely land the plane on that date where a target date fund won't. A target date fund's going to go through that date. Yeah. So, so it that's is. That's what I mean. Like, I kind of get it with the 529 yeah, because you're going to, the idea right. is to consume all of that over a short period of time. Yes. Yeah. You know, that's, that's what you're running for. But I think when you get to that last six, seven, eight years before retirement, that is not the time to go, I need to be ultra conservative now. Like, now I, now I should make my last doubling last 12 or 13 years as opposed to six or seven or eight. So that's why I dislike them immensely, but, but, uh, all these other things too. You know, and seriously, if you're going to do a target date fund, just press the easy button and do bloom instead. It's just like a target date fund, but way, way, way less expensive for two reasons. Target date funds also sometimes will load in funds that aren't their best funds just so that they can have these asset yeah, keep, managers. Keep them afloat. Yeah. yeah. Keep them moving with the dumb target date money. Bloom avoids that. And then also we'll pick the uh, lowest fee and strongest funds available in the 401k. Thanks for the question, Steve. We also get letters down here in the basement and Doug has the mail. Did you delete the cat videos off his phone, by the way? No, I love cat videos. Yeah, that's what I thought. I have no idea who would have done that. Tyler says, I'm a college student and currently have a 401k retirement plan through my work, as well as a Roth IRA on the side for my personal investing. Tyler's a college student and already has a Roth IRA and a 401k. Well, he, he doesn't say that he's 51, but... He's a 51-year-old college student? Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> that's, that's the name of the next blog. How this college student retired... He's like, uh, uh, he's like Melissa McCarthy going back to school. Yeah, there you go. I was here talk about diversifying your portfolio and came across the app Acorns that invests your spare change from transactions and allows you to choose your allocation of funds. By the way, before we get too far on there, Colton from uh, Acorns was on the show, I think maybe two years ago when Acorns was a little younger. Uh, so if you go to Stacky Benjamins and just put Acorns in the episode search box, you can 
go to that Friday FinTech segment and hear all about how Acorn works. And by the way, OG, Acorns has uh, Harry Markowitz on their board. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, back to Tyler's letter. That Acorns invest your spare change from transactions allows you to choose your allocation of funds. Given my age, I'd most likely pick moderately aggressive, which consists of up to 60% large cap stocks, 20% corporate government bonds, and the remaining 20% divided up between real estate, emerging markets, and small cap companies. I don't know why you do that, Tyler, but anyway, I'll keep going. Would this be a sufficient complement to what I have now or just put that extra money into a mutual fund or CD? Since I'm young, I understand I could take on more risk, but also like slow and steady growth and want to build wealth the most efficient way possible. All right. So uh, Tyler's in college. What's he do there? A lot to unpack here. So one of the things that I want to mention here is he talked about diversification. We want to diversify investment holdings, not investment locations. There is no substantial benefit to having an IRA at Schwab, a Roth IRA at Fidelity, your 401k at TD Ameritrade. You know what I mean? Like people sometimes look at that and go, well, that's diversified. None of these companies have anything to worry about. You can have all of your money in one place in terms of a custodian, if possible, right? Maybe that's not possible, but let's just make sure that we understand what that means there. So from a diversification standpoint, we're talking about asset allocation how much stocks versus not stocks, big and small companies and so on and so forth. And so I don't know what his 401k looks like. I don't know what his Roth looks like. I like acorns. It's kind of cool. You know, it's a cool thing to get a few bucks, but I don't know that you're going to turn into a gozillionaire on, you know, nickel transactions here and there. But it still is a great way to pick up extra money that you and I, you know, but people just drop money all over the place and he's sweeping it up as he goes. And before he knows yeah, it, I, I agree. It's, some it vacation I mean, it's still your money, right? It's not like it's found money. Sure. It's just but do a hundred dollars a month into a brokerage account. Is that not the same thing as, you know what I mean? It, like budgeting wise, although it's a lot easier to do a yeah. nickel every transaction. I get that. Sure. Like, cause you're not going to notice the difference if you're you know, TGI Friday's bill. I bet if, even if he did both, if he had did a hundred dollars a month and did acorns, he still wouldn't miss the difference. So what acorns will do when you sign up and open an account, there links your bank account or credit card or whatever the case may be. And uh, asks you a series of risk tolerance questions and it comes up with an allocation. That's their allocation. My understanding is with acorns, you don't get to adjust that. Like you are getting whatever it is your risk tolerance questionnaire says. So, as far as diversification goes, I would say that I'm assuming that it's fairly diversified because they say so. But how that compares to the rest of your investments is beyond me because you didn't tell us anything about that. I think in terms of a foundation of a house that will have these four cornerstones on the house. And first, I look at Tyler cash flow and, and uh, if an emergency comes up. We know that you're in college, your cash flow is going to change later. So from where I sit, I want to make sure I've got a decent emergency fund so that when I finish college and I'm done with that, then I uh, have this freedom from worry about the near future first, because I don't want to have to dip into that Acorns account at moderately aggressive. And I don't like the moderately aggressive. I, I kind of think if if there is a way to toggle that, go back through and kind of set up the risk questionnaire differently. I might make that aggressive based on his time frame, but I like it aggressive if he has a cash reserve. So yeah. if, if he's got an emergency fund, that gives him freedom from worry about taking that money a little more. So that's first. 
Second, then is risk management. In college, he probably doesn't have a lot of, you know, downside things that might happen. Want to make sure he has renter's insurance, decent car insurance. That's probably it. I don't know his situation, living situation, but different things that might happen. Like think about all your downsides. Then I go to short-term goals and long-term goals. And I think then you invest based on those. And if you tell me that you want that money in five, six, or seven years, then okay, your acorns moderately aggressive makes sense to me. If not, if it's longer than that, then I'm I'm cranking that baby up to aggressive instead of that 20% corporate bonds thing drives me crazy. Mm-hmm. Well, me too, as you know. I know. Well, and it doesn't, but it drives you crazy for everybody. I, I kind of mitigate that with somebody who's a little closer to the, but we don't need to, we don't need to argue over that today. I'm very, I'm very calm today, so we don't need to go crazy. You, you, you are, you are calm today. Mm-hmm. We got the mellow OG. Thanks for the question, Tyler. You got a question for us. Head to stackybenjamins.com and you'll see across the top the questions tab. Click on that. And you'll see all the ways to interface with us. Hey, thanks to everybody who's left a review of our show. Man, do we get some crazy, funny reviews. You people crack me up. This one, I don't even know what to think about this one. Uh, Mom's got it on the fridge, but she even, when she brought it down and said, what is this? (laughs) And she said, tell them I'm putting it on the fridge, but I don't know about this one. The uh, review is five stars and comes to us from Heather at Bedruminations. And the, and the title says, Relaxes the Bowels. This is my absolute favorite podcast to listen to in the morning. A cup of Joe, not Saul high, a lavender diffuser, and this show are all you need to get the systems flowing. I can't make this up. Uh, okay. Doug's melodic voice just gets everything moving. Other personal finance podcasts preach at you or try to sell you things. Here they do both. It's... <laughs> It's really the best of both worlds. I look forward to OG telling me I'm living my life wrong three times a week. In all seriousness, Joe, OG, Doug, and their rotating cast of characters break down complex financial concepts into humorous and digestible bites. Well, at least Doug tries to. Five stars. That is awesome. That is awesome. And weird as all get out. How how do I tell people that they live their life wrong? Jeez, that was... (laughs) Do I do that? I, uh, I mean, between you and me, I do all the time, but I didn't really think that that was very public. Yeah, maybe. Are you, I, are you recording all this stuff that we talk about that's off the record? We can't get into that I actually wrote this. <laughs> 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 Nothing like getting the system flowing by listening to us with my lavender diffuser in, yes. the, in the morning. <laughs> Lastly, uh, if you're looking for good financial help and somebody to tell you you're living your life wrong, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG. Because OG's taking clients and uh, that'll lead you to his calendar and you can start getting your financial plan on track. All right, Doug, that's going to do it for today, man. Tell us uh, what we should have learned today. So what did we learn today? First, thinking about retirement, take Fritz Gilbert's advice and get the money questions out of the way fast because the real questions are about how you're going to spend the next phase of your life. Second, that car in the mall Probably not a great idea to give up your personal information for a tiny chance at less than a thousand bucks. But the big lesson, don't try to read Catcher in the Rye to Joe's mom. She didn't appreciate this line from Holden Caulfield. This guy sitting in the row in front of me, Edgar Marsalia, laid this terrific fart. 
It was a very crude thing to do in the chapel and all, but it was also quite amusing. Old Marsalia, he damn near blew the roof off. Why am I getting the stink eye from her? J.D. Salinger said that, not me, lady. Special thanks to Fritz Gilbert for hanging out with us today. Read Fritz's insights at his blog, theretirementmanifesto.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and I really thought doing these credits completely naked would have been a lot more fun than it actually was. SB Podcast may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Special thanks to Joe's mom for bringing down pork rinds and kookade for the show. Kookade? It's not Kool-Aid. It says kookade right there. How long has it been since you've done a movie review? Well, I, I saw Incredibles 2 a couple weeks ago, but you had already done it. So I beat you to a movie. Yeah. Because it's a movie, of course, that I would see and you'll never see. So I am going to see it. I still got to see the first one, though. You got to see the first one first. It helps. It's not required, but it helps. Yeah. You went and saw this movie in theaters here recently, Sicario 2. I know who you are. You're the attorney whose family they killed. Not they. My father. And now you hunt them. Adios. Cartel helped the terrorists get to the border. The president's adding drug cartels to the list of terrorist organizations. You can understand how that will expand our ability to combat them. You want to see this thing through? I'm going to have to get dirty. Dirty is exactly why you're here. Dirty is exactly why he's there. And I bet in the movie, they might get a little dirty. It's not required to have seen the first one of these uh, that came out a couple of years ago, uh, same cast of characters minus Emily Blunt. So Josh Brolin and uh, Benicio Del Toro are the two main fellas in it. The first one had Emily Blunt in it, but um, she is not in this one. 
kind of sort of picks up the story, but not particularly. Starts out with this terrorist attack that happens in the United States. And immediately the Secretary of Defense and the President go, what happened? How do we fix this? And who's at fault? And they come to the conclusion, as you heard, that uh, that it was the Mexican cartels that had something to do with it. They facilitated this. And so, you know, we just can't march the Marines across the border into Mexico. So they start this kind of clandestine operation of, you know, taking care of business, I guess. It's an interesting storyline that goes through all the pitfalls of this, right? Trying to operate in a different place without uh, official sanction, official cover, so to speak. And and uh, a lot of shoot 'em up stuff, a lot of uh, rocket launchers and bullets and bad guys and that sort of thing. The story gets a little kind of off kilter, I think, maybe about two thirds of the way through. And I did not like how it ended the movie. You didn't? No. I liked how the first one ended because it was unexpected, right? Because most movies kind of end. Like, think about the movie. Did you ever see the movie Collateral with um, Jamie Foxx and uh, Tom Cruise? No, but that's... Oh, did I? Jamie Foxx was the cab driver. Tom Cruise comes into town and Jamie Foxx, and he gets in Jamie Foxx's cab and he says, listen, I'll give you a thousand bucks for the night. I've got five stops to make. Get me to the airport. First this, flight out in the morning. This movie was fantastic. Collateral. Yes. Except the last little bit, which I, was you You have this like, sorry, this is a spoiler. If you've never seen Collateral, it's like 10 years old. So too bad. But uh, but Collateral, you've got Tom Cruise, who's this world class assassin. Right. 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 Who is out like knocking all these people out one and, right after another. And Jamie Cruise now is unwittingly Jamie at Fox. the or, or Jamie Foxx. Yep. Uh, Jamie Foxx unwittingly now has become his driver. I mean, yes, yeah. yes. Like, but, he, but, but he figures out real quickly that he's kind of in a world of hurt. Yes. Sum it up to the very end. You've got this world-class assassin against a cab driver and somehow the cab driver wins. Right. And you just go, okay, that's how Hollywood ends every movie. Yeah. Not necessarily these movies, <laughs> these last two. So it ends differently. And so you kind of go, hmm, at the end of the first one, the second one, the story kind of turns. Maybe that's how it is in real life. I wouldn't know. You know, where the government then just kind of decides to change course, I guess, midway through. But uh, anyways, I didn't like the ending. Uh, the movie overall is great. The story is great. Obviously, all the uh, shoot 'em up blow em up stuff is fantastic. But um, uh, the story at the end is kind of like, eh, really? And then the very end is really dumb, I think. But uh, still, two thumbs up if you can get past the ending. That's what I don't like. I don't like it when I've seen movies that I really like the entire ride and I don't like the ending, but I tell people, because the first thing I'm thinking about here is the same thing everybody listening is thinking about. And I've had people not take my recommendation because I'm like, yeah, the ending's kind of dumb, but the ride is really worth it. And like, yeah, I'm not going to go see it. Yeah. Well, some people like the ending. Isn't it I'm funny, sure. though, how the, like the last three minutes, though, of a movie can taint the entire thing? Well, I was thinking about other movies that kind of just end abruptly. Like there's a spot where you figure the movie's over, right? It was a long movie. It was probably two hours maybe a little bit longer. And so there's a spot toward the end where you're like, okay, this is how they're going to end it. I also wouldn't have liked that, by the way, how that ended. But, <laughs> you know, you go, okay, that's the end. Then there's more and you go, okay, there's a little, you know, tie up a, you know, tie up a little bit of things. And there's a little bit more and you're going, okay, this is now, what, now what are we doing? And then it ends and you go, okay, it's over. And then it does the one year later thing. Oh. And you're like, okay. And then you see a little bit more stuff and you go, 
Okay. You could have stopped three minutes ago. Yeah. With the helicopter sailing out into the sunshine, right? And it's done. You could have stopped five minutes before that. That also would have been an ending. Anyway. Well, that's I'll be interested to hear other people's thoughts. That's what I liked about A Quiet Place. The movie ended at the right spot. Like the action wasn't finished, OG, but you knew where it was going to go. Like you knew exactly what was going to happen next. There was about to be a lot more action, but you knew what was going to happen. And so it ended at this beautiful place that, um, that I don't know. I don't think you need to tie up every loose end. Yeah. So a uh, great movie overall. I love, I love this storyline. Yeah. I got to get on board with the Emily Blunt one with the first one. Yes. Not, not a kid's movie. In fact, this movie even had previews that were the red previews. You oh, know, and they show the previews and it goes, this preview is only for this movie. Yeah. And they're, yeah, I'm like, Oh, cool. Um, <laughs> Because you never see those. You're only seeing that preview because you're in a rated R theater right now. Yes. Watching that preview. Yes, exactly. Yes. And then you so, feel like uh, the lucky one. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then you see the preview for Predator and you go, okay, I'm unlucky. I shouldn't have seen this. <laughs> right. <laughs> so really, I know, I know how this ends. You just cover yourself in mud and then the Predator doesn't see you. And then you smash him with a couple of you know, logs or whatever. Yeah. Also, yeah. Which reminds me of the movie, that the Jurassic World that I just saw. Yeah. I didn't even need to. Okay. Leave your brain at home. Right. All right, man. Becoming a member at Navy Federal Credit Union can help you earn more and save more. Their certificate options could earn you more than standard savings accounts with competitive rates. Not all financial institutions offer you as many choices for savings options as Navy Federal does. For example, you could start your savings journey with a low minimum deposit, add money at any time, and watch your savings grow. Thanks to flexible terms, you can use Navy Federal savings options for all kinds of goals, short or long term. Considering a big home improvement project, maybe you want to consolidate debt. Well, if you're thinking consolidation, that's part of your plan. You could borrow up to 100% of your home's equity with a fixed rate home equity loan with zero closing cost or easily borrow as you go with a home equity line of credit. What I like, you make your plan first and then you use the appropriate instrument to get you there. And Navy Federal has them. Both options could help make life's big expenses seem more manageable. To learn more, visit NavyFederal.org. At Navy Federal, our members are the mission. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA. Equal housing lender. Membership required. Terms and conditions apply. Loan subject to approval. 